I believe. I believe that this is a great day for us to be gathering once again as the Christ Journey family. And so wherever you're making your connection with us, across the nation, around the world, in the campuses right here in South Florida, we welcome you. And I understand that I might have some California family tuning in right now. So if Lolly and my grandsons, West and Cedar, are there, hey, let's, can you give them some love? Can we do that? Can we say, hi, wish we could be together. Great to be together. Um, and happy for you to be joining us wherever you're making your connection. You know, one of the, um, the most poignant scenes in Saving Private Ryan to me was where General George C. Marshall reads the letter that was written to Mrs. Bixby, the mother who lost five sons in the Civil War. And it closes like this. I pray that our Heavenly Father may assuage the anguish of the bereavement and leave you only the cherished memory of the loved and the lost and the solemn pride that must be yours to have laid so costly a sacrifice upon the altar of freedom. Yours very truly, respectfully, Abraham Lincoln. It was a letter of tribute honoring the warriors, honoring the dead. And this needs to be said, you know that's what warriors do. They die so others can live. And it's not... Um, a scene from a movie only. My, my mother's parents received similar notice during World War II when their only son, my mother's only brother, my uncle Wayne, was killed in action during an attack on the USS Franklin, March 19, 1945, right off the coast of Japan. He, uh, he is the... Um, the donor of my middle name, actually, my Purple Heart Award-winning uncle, Warrior Wayne, who died in combat. Then I'm telling you that story because the next line in the Apostles' Creed is about a warrior who dies in combat. It reads like this. Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. I mean, on the surface, it sounds like an obituary notice. But it's much more than that, as we know. Um, and as Jesus himself told his apostles when they gathered to take communion that night before his betrayal and crucifixion, where he said, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood poured out for you the warrior who would be offering himself on the field for them. So in this series, we're looking at the core beliefs, the earliest teachings that the followers of Jesus, his disciples, his apostles, held to and what they taught. It's called the Apostles' Creed, not because the apostles wrote it, but because it represents a simple summary of the core beliefs that early, the earliest followers of Jesus had. And so what we're doing as we explore them, we're asking at least three questions about them. What are they, first, where did they come from? You know, why do they believe that? And third, what difference does it make? Whether you believe or don't believe, what difference does it make? What meaning do these beliefs bring to our lives today? So this is the third message in the series, and its focus is on a warrior who died in combat, on the suffering, crucifixion, death, and burial of Jesus, or what's popularly called his passion, or shorthand, the cross, 
the cross of Jesus. So what's the core belief? Well, simply stated, it's simply this. Jesus Christ suffered, was crucified, died, and buried. So there's the brutal facts of history, that these are not merely ideas from some religious fantasy or some religious philosophy that somebody dreamed up somewhere, that these are the facts of history. Jesus lived, Jesus died in history, and as a matter of fact, not a figure of speech, he was flogged, he was crucified by order of a villain, a historical villain, Pilate, that archaeology has affirmed and authenticated. It's, it's interesting that there is no mention of the fall or of original sin in the Apostles' Creed. But when these words show up, suffered on Pontius Pilate, it becomes immediately clear that something is not right in the world. And it also raises a question. You know, how did he get in there? Because the story says that God enters the world in Jesus Christ, but his own receive him not. And then at the close of his life, he's before Pilate, a Gentile that condemns him, an innocent man, has him beaten and executed under the anguish of the crucifixion. By the way, Karl Barth, who has been uh, renowned as perhaps the greatest theologian in the 20th century, said, you know, Pilate enters the creed like a dog in a nice room. When that happens, you kind of go, What's he doing in here, <laughs> right? Well, that's the question. How does Pilate get in the belief statement that is core to the Christian faith? And perhaps this is the answer. To show that the gospel is anchored in real history and to remind us, you know, this, that this story doesn't start with once upon a time. <laughs> no, this is anchored in history, and that it reminds us, his presence reminds us of the real reason that Jesus suffered and died, sin of humanity. Some people used to believe that Jesus never even lived. Did you know this? Vladimir Lenin, the communist leader, thought, held that Jesus was a myth invented by religion, that he wasn't even real. Well, then why would we believe that he was? Well, <laughs> because the, the main reason is that the source material that we have from those who claim to be eyewitnesses of the event saw him, were with him, experienced him, and then these source materials have been confirmed time and again through textual criticism and the affirmation of archaeology. That's a message for a whole other day. But the fact raises the question, why do we believe? Jesus said that this was the central reason that he came. He taught time and again that he came, that he would take up a cross and die. And then when he spoke to his followers, he said, if you want to follow me, you got to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Cross, the cross was central to it. When Paul, the first great world missionary, spoke in Galatia, it, this is what he wrote in his letter. May I never boast except in the cross, there it is, of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Corinth, he says something similar. I resolved nothing to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Even though he says that this was a big block in the thinking of Jews. To the Jews, it was a stumbling block, and to the Gentiles, the Romans, the Greeks, it was considered nonsense or foolishness. Now, what about today? Well, suffering still isn't something we tend to embrace, is it? It seems like, oh, that's, no, the thing you're supposed to do with suffering is avoid it. Don't embrace it. 
Buddhism, in fact, says, teaches that suffering is an illusion. The Buddha taught that suffering wasn't real, that it was an illusion. And yet what Jesus says is, no, no, it's real, and I'm going to go do it, and I'm going to embrace it, and I will redeem it and make more, something, more of it than simple suffering. In fact, Jesus predicts three times in the Gospel of Matthew his own death. Matthew 16, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things and that he must be killed. Matthew 17, when they came together in Galilee, he said to them, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed to the hands of man and they will kill him. Matthew 20, he took the 12 disciples aside and he said to them, we're going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests, to the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and then they will turn him over to the Gentiles to be mocked, flogged, and crucified. Now, how did the disciples handle that? Well, they were like going, what is he talking about? They even said, don't talk like that. You don't want your leader to die? Come on. And yet, later they write, this is the central fact of the New Testament. This was the whole reason he came. Even after the resurrection on the Emmaus Road, the risen Jesus says this, was it necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things? Luke chapter 24. Acts 17, Paul says again, it was necessary for Messiah to suffer. The the writer of Hebrews summarizes all of Jesus' whole life in these two words, he suffered. So instead of avoiding it, he somehow, he embraces it? He was born for this? Jesus was not some kind of spirit visiting aloof from the realities, the brute facts of suffering and death in human life. I think that's what we're supposed to remember. He was fully human. He had a human body. It got hurt. It suffered. He bled. He died. He was buried. This was real. This isn't make-believe. Like a warrior who died in combat. Jesus died and was buried. Now the idea of a crucified God, this is also troubling, isn't it? I mean, isn't the definition of God is that you're bigger than this stuff? If you're not a God that's big enough to get out of being crucified, what's your problem? Are you really a God? Some young moon said Jesus actually got got himself killed before he finished his mission. And yet Jesus said, no, no, that was my mission. I came to die at Muhammad, or Maharishi Yogi, guru, founder of Transcendental Meditation, a Hindu variety, said Christ didn't suffer. Christ couldn't suffer. Muhammad, what did he say? That was not Jesus. Muhammad taught that Jesus was never crucified. It was another who died in his place. Buddhists, they believed it was all illusion. Right? That it wasn't real. Okay, what did the earliest Christians think? The ones who were there. You know what they were saying? No, it was real. It was a real body, a real death, real bleeding, real suffering. They knew it to be a fact. 
That answers the question, where did it come from? What is it? Why do we believe it? We believe it because that was what the testimony of the eyewitnesses said as has been validated under the textual criticism of Scripture and archaeology through the years. We believe it too. That's what they bore witness to. That's what they died for themselves. So also we believe it. That's what it is, and that's why we believe it. But what does it mean? Really? Does it matter that you believe it or not? What difference does it make? Well, a big one, actually. A huge one. In fact, Jesus... Jesus said that God was up to something huge in the cross, that God was doing something cosmically significant on the cross, something that only God could accomplish as a spiritual warrior, and essentially this, the forgiveness of sin, the forgiveness of human rebellion. The gospel writers, the early apostles agree. What does the death of Jesus mean? What does the cross of Jesus mean? Well, let me offer a few statements for you to reflect upon, okay? Here's the first. Hashtag gave himself in love. That's what we wrap our thinking around. Jesus said this, greater love has no one than this than he lay his life down for his friends. Love was behind it. That's what God was doing at the cross. He was laying himself down in love. For God so loved that he gave his only son, that he came incarnate in Christ, the God-man, so that he could lay his life down in love for you, much as a soldier would give his life for others. Now, in a world of self-indulgence and self-absorption and self-interest, what does God do? He lays himself down. This is like totally countercultural, but it's what love does. Next, hashtag took your place. This is what the apostle Peter says. The righteous for the unrighteous. The apostle John says, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The apostle Paul says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There are three apostles whose teaching shows up in the apostles' creed. Jesus was God's substitute for you. Just as Barabbas was released by Pilate, and Jesus died on Barabbas' cross, so likewise Jesus died in your place as well, which brings us to the next hashtag paid your debt. Paid your debt. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. When payday comes for sin, it's gonna cost you your life. Spiritual death, physical death, death is the price tag of sin. And here's what happened on the cross. In Christ, God was doing justice, covering all costs for all sin. Karma met its match in the warrior, Jesus Christ. And because he died, you can be forgiven. You can be freed from the penalty and the burden of sin. You can be freed from its death and destruction, like the song that we just sang about, right? That be, why? Because God was in Christ on the cross, mashing himself up with humanity in the deepest kind of way so that when he died, in our place, your sin debt was paid in full. This is an amazing mystery here, but justice was served, sentence was passed, wages of sin was paid, and in the crucifixion, Christ experiences the full weight of the brunt of the wrath of holy God and absorbs it in himself. So in his death, he goes all the way down so that he doesn't miss anybody and can pick everybody all the way up. There's an old song we used to sing. He paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. 
Christ Jesus paid the debt that I could never pay. He became one with my sins. This is what theologians call atonement, the at-one-ment. Christ became one with my sins so that I can, by grace, through faith, become one with his righteousness. And that's what the Apostle Peter says, 1 Peter 3. Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. Why? To bring you to God, to open the way, to establish the relationship in your place. And that's, by the way, you know, that's why we wear these uh, scarlet cords right now. They're reminding us of the story of Rahab who was told if the scarlet cord is out your window, then everybody in your house is gonna experience the saving grace of God. We're wearing these to remind us that God made room for us so that now we can make room for others. So God bless you for uh, sharing this amazing good news as our Christ Journey family. Next, hashtag bought your freedom. Bought your freedom. Sin is a cruel master. It holds us captive, makes us our slaves, mocks us, tells us that we will never be free from the habits and the hang-ups that are holding us back and pulling us down. But here's what the Apostle Peter says. You were redeemed. That's a freedom word. You were redeemed. You were set free. Why? By the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Christ's death. In Christ's death, the shackles of sin have been broken. We just sang about that. Once again, this is where it comes from. Apostle Paul, what did he say? Romans 6. You were, we were crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with. Why? That we should no longer be what? Slaves to sin. This is about freedom. He bought your freedom. Christ, our warrior, who died, laid a solemn sacrifice on the altar of freedom. But in combat, he was uh, destroying the work of the devil. Next, hashtag triumphed over evil. When your warrior, our warrior, our Savior died in combat, he was destroying the work of the devil. This is what Apostle Paul says. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. By the cross, triumphing over them by the cross. Apostle John says similar things. The reason the Son of God appeared was why? Why did Jesus even show up? To destroy the work of the devil. Why? To set people free so that we can now be free. I, um, I'm reminding you of a story that uh, Banker shared, a personal story about his childhood. When he was a boy, uh, his big brother told him that you're my slave now. I bought you from mama for a dollar. You gotta do what I tell you. And so the little brother believed him, and every time big brother told him something to do, he felt like he had to obey. So if little brother had a piece of pie and big brother wanted it, then he would have to give it up, you know? Well, after several months of this, he went to his mother, teary, you know? He just can't stand it anymore. I, can't, I don't want to be my brother's slave anymore. Well, she's astonished. She doesn't know what's going on what was happening here. So little brother explains what was going on and, he's, and how his brother had bought him. So what does mom do? Well, she doesn't laugh. She doesn't try to talk the little guy out of his mistaken conclusion here. You know what she does? She goes to her purse. She gets a dollar. And she goes to the big brother and says, I'm buying him back. <laughs> and then she goes to the little brother and says, now I just bought you back from your brother. You're free, right? You're not your brother's slave anymore. It sort of makes sense why he's a banker now, doesn't it? You sort of get the connection there. This is the purchase of freedom that the warrior laid 
on the battlefield. I believe in Jesus Christ, Son of God, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born to the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. Now, it sounds like we should just put a period in it right there, doesn't it? That's like the end of the story. Most stories end with the death. On earth, that's where they end. We know there's more to the story. We're going to get to that next week. But truly, it is the end of the story in one way. When it comes to the sense of hopelessness and despair and defeat, the way that we knew it before Christ, it has come to an end. That's, that's done. To borrow the words of an Australian theologian, here's what he said. Jesus' death is the world's life. It is the darkness that illuminates it is the judgment that does not condemn. It is the defeat that ushers in God's sovereign reign. It is the termination that inaugurates a whole new epoch in history. It's the fulfillment that totally surpasses what was promised. It's the sacrifice that dissolves the entire sacrificial system from within. It is the violent catastrophe that triumphs over the violence of human history. All because in Jesus, God has shared our full humanity, our full human condition at every level so that now no human being at any level can ever come into an experience that can separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. His grave becomes our life's beginning. Because of his death, all because this warrior died in combat. Now, the cross has always been controversial. You know, when the Passion of the Christ came out, parents, uh, people refused to go. They were saying it was too violent, it's too bloody. USA Today quoted an Italian author, Riccardo Zucconi, saying that he didn't want his children to see it because he didn't, he, uh, he wanted them to, to know Jesus' spirituality. He didn't want them to see this debauchery. He said it was the soul of Jesus that's important, not the body, close quote. But of course, the apostles who were there, you know what they want us to know? No, his body. It was his body. He said his body would be broken. He said his blood would be spilled. He wants us, they want us to know that the body of Jesus was beaten, was crucified, was dead, and was buried. And they wrote, they could not stop but writing about it and speaking about it and telling about it and saying that it is central to the cleansing, healing experience of the spiritual heart of people who have been captivated by sin. Without the broken body and the spilled blood, the crucifixion has no meaning. Jesus told us that himself. The very point is this. God meets us. The almighty, infinite God meets us incarnate in the bloody mess of our sins, in the blood and the suffering of real life. And when we try to sanitize it, we miss the point. That's why this is in there. In the book Bono, Conversation with Michka Asaya, the lead singer and songwriter of the group U2 says this. It's a mind-blowing concept that the God who created the universe might be looking for company, for a real relationship with people. But the thing that keeps me on my knees is the difference between grace and karma. Bono says this. The idea of karma is central to all religions. 
What you put in comes back to you. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. You know, every action is met by an equal or opposite action. And so he says, it's clear to me that karma is at the very heart of the universe. I'm absolutely sure of it. And yet, he goes on, along comes this idea called grace. And uh, to upend all of that as you sow, you will reap stuff. Grace defies reason. Grace defies logic. Grace, it love interrupts, if you like, the consequences of your actions, which in my case is very good news indeed because I've done a lot of stupid stuff. It doesn't excuse my mistakes, but I'm holding out for grace, he says. I'm holding out that Jesus took my sins onto the cross because I know who I am and I hope I don't have to depend upon my own religiosity. Friends, indeed, that is what the cross of Jesus means. We don't have to depend upon our own religiosity. We don't have to depend upon our own morality. We don't have to depend upon our own works and our own failed attempts and inconsistent efforts. Maybe you were offended last week. If you were here last week, maybe you were offended at the claim Jesus Christ is the only Son of God. I was given a note after service that, from somebody who told me they were. And, and, and I get that. I understand that. In our pluralistic world where the idea of equality is the deepest religion of many people, the notion that Christ is God is scandalous. This is like offensive, right? It feels offensive to make such an exclusive claim that Jesus Christ is God's only son. Okay, well then this week, what we're invited into is the explanation. Why, why would God do that? If it indeed happened, if it isn't just some politically incorrect religious claim that makes people feel uncomfortable, if it really happened, then why would God do that? And the answer is simple here. Here it is. God took on a body so that he could die. That's the answer. God took on a human body so that he could die, a spiritual warrior in combat for those who can't save themselves. And that's why we said it this way. In Christ, we don't see man reaching up for God. We see God coming down to reach, to reach humanity. Bono said, I know who I am. Can I ask you, do you? Do you know who you are? Have you had honest enough moments yet to realize your need that, that you need help to, to see your need. Your need for what? Your need for God to meet you in the mess of life. Sometimes it's a bloody mess, isn't it? The mess of abandonment, the mess of rejection, the mess of pride, the mess of fill in your blank, the mess of sin, the blood and suffering of real life. You know, that's what we're talking about here. And, and one day, that warrior death on the cross can intercede for you when you face your death as well. See, we're all gonna die. We're all on our way out. But in his warrior death on the cross, he does for us what you can't do for yourself. And because he did, nobody has to stand alone. Nobody has to face death alone, and nobody has to stand alone before God. And when that thought finds welcome in your mind, in your heart, in your soul, you're gonna understand what 
the writer was thinking when he penned these words. My faith has found a resting place, not in device or creed. I trust the ever-living one. His wounds for me shall plead. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died, and Jesus died for me. He died for you. Can I ask you, do you need a resting place? You ready to have a little rest? Jesus said, come to me, I'll give you rest. Are you troubled, are you struggling, are you burdened? Jesus said, then come to me, you will find rest for your souls. Can we pray about that right now? Gracious God, we thank you for this profound thought that you would take on a body that you might die and do for us what we can't do for ourselves and then offer us rest that can secure us forever. So we're praying now. Uh, maybe you're a brother, a sister in the faith who you've known this story, you've heard it so many times, it's so easy to take it for granted, isn't it? That it loses its freshness. And so we need to be reminded, don't we? Of our need for what God has done for us and the warrior who offered himself in spiritual combat. Would you allow him to make it fresh for you right now? Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a right spirit within me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Thank you for the forgiveness of sin. Perhaps you're on the front end of your spiritual journey and you would like to know God in a personal way through Jesus. Then here's a prayer you could offer. Lord Jesus, I thank you for coming in love for me for taking my place on the cross, for paying the penalty of sin in full, for doing it because you love me and because you want me to be free. And I believe, I just need help with my unbelief, but I believe enough to say, come into my life. If you're real, if it's true, then forgive my sins, come into my life, and I turn from my way to learn how to go your way as I trust you as my Savior and my Lord. Our heads are still bowed just for a moment, but if you prayed that prayer with me and would let me ask God's blessing upon your next steps of faith, then I'm gonna ask you simply to raise your hand. If you're joining us online, you can click right there on screen, and we're praying with you right now. And if you're under the sound of my voice in the room, then I want to thank you. I see you back to my left in the back of the room. God bless you. Right here in the center middle. God bless you, sir. Over to my right toward the back. God bless you. Lord, you see into our hearts, especially these who by uplifted hand have said, my heart is open, my mind is open, and I am open for the forgiveness of sin and for your presence. So I pray right now that each one who has lifted their hand and perhaps others who didn't or that I didn't see would have the sense of your presence with them, of your death for them, and of your love surrounding them 
and hearing their prayer as they take a new step of faith to you today. In your name, amen.